Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we can learn from them, and just why we like them. For those of you out there counting, this is episode 34, coming at you on January 10th, 2019. I'm laughing because it's more than a month since the last time we recorded. Um, my name is Chase Stromberg, and I'm joined by... Stu Gritter. Hey Stu Gritter, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How are you today, Jace? I am also doing well, and Happy New Year to you. It is our first show of 2019, so it is. Uh, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> we survived 2018. H- happy New Year to all the peoples. Yeah, Happy New Year to anybody listening to this, which is approximately 31 people. So you 31 people, thank you. <laughs> That's not an approximate number. Uh, yeah, it's actually an it's an exact number. Uh, okay, as of recording, uh, on average, people about thirty one people download it, um, which is weird uh, for me. Just never imagined that like thirty one people would be interested <laughs> in what I have to say. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's uh, everybody out there. Thank you. Uh, we're starting the year off right with more listeners than we had in 2017 and 16. So, yeah, uh, and way more than 2015. Yeah. Yes. 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 This was just a twinkle in my eye. The idea of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, there's actually an alpha without you. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and it and just it, it just it just wasn't as good, was it? It is rough. It is <laughs> rough. Um, but like yeah, definitely some adventures in uh, uh, misadventures in audio recording. But um, hey, uh, for anybody who's joining us and has no idea what we do, uh, this is Learn from Gaming podcast, which means that we uh, we like to sort of dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we learned from them and why we like them. Now to get really into that um sometimes we talk about the a- academic aspects of it so like the actual learning that, that that occurred in terms of stuff like geography sometimes uh reading comprehension is a really big uh, if you played jrpgs or crpgs um <laughs> you're actually it's surprising um also uh, if you bought strategy guides there was a pretty big reading component to that um but uh, we also talk about like socioeconomic stuff as well. Uh, we haven't really hit on that too hard lately. Um, I think the the last one uh, that we did a good job on that was the Magic the Gathering episode. Mm. But uh, we do still we do still do stuff like that. I'm feeling like uh, maybe our next episode, which is episode 35, which will be a collaborative episode, we'll be talking about engaging with other people online for an extended period of time playing a specific game um so that might get into it as well uh and that was back when it was like misadventures in youtube video creation (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we're not going to give away what game that is uh a, a clever clever member of the audience might be able to figure that one out um but yeah, that's really what we're doing here. So um, right off the top, we're probably going to jump into what we learned this month, and then we will get to the meat of the show, which is each of us talking about a game that we like and what we learned from it. So um, do you want to talk about anything just off the top, or should we just jump into what we learned? I think I already asked you if you wanted to talk about anything. Uh, nothing off the... Oh, AGTQ is going on at the time of this recording. So oh, right. um, yes. go go and give give money to shoot cancer in the face. <laughs> to shoot cancer 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, also, sorry, my computer fan was on the entire time. I just turned it off. Um, <laughs> but that's not a big deal. But yes, yeah. Uh, and that's that's actually really fun to watch. I heard somebody was playing using just dance pads this year. Oh, um, I, I've missed that. Yeah, I I don't know. There was a link posted. I'm going to go check it out later. Um, and by later, I mean probably tomorrow during one of my breaks. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So, you know what? Let's get into what we learned this month. Um, so this is the segment of the show where we discuss the things that we learned about gaming this month. So, Stu, you and I love tech and we love gaming news. So, audience members, remember, if you have any news or tech uh, stories that you want us to dig into, just shoot them at us at our email address at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. So, Stu, I do have a couple of things to talk about, uh, but you sent me some stuff over the break as well. So uh, you let me know if you want to go first or yeah, you just want me to talk about my stuff. Yeah, I'll go first because there's not a lot of meat to either of mine. Okay. Um, one, one of them was just an article that... Um, showed that video games, at least in the UK, accounted for more than half of the entertainment market. So that means that people are spending... um, The video game industry is... uh, has more money coming in than, like, film, music, theater combined. So that's that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, Actually, I was on a... I was on an industry... uh, focused show, so just focusing on the video game industry as a whole uh, with... uh, Gaming History 101's Fred Rojas, as well as, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank, I'm drawing a blank. Andy Someone else. Andy, 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 Andy from, jeez, um, uh, I, oh, I forget which. Somewhere uh, else. Yeah, from somewhere else. <laughs> Sorry, he's Scottish, he's a great guy, um, really, really knows his, really, really knows his stuff, and we were just talking about uh, the video game market, and Fred had uh, the best version of up-to-date like December sales that he could get but it was from the UK and it was from boxed sales and even just inboxed not digital sales were nuts yep nuts in the UK like the actual amount of money spent um like in into even previous generations so like buying for uh the Wii and the Wii U people are still buying box stuff um and it's still showing up like that's uh and it, it very high numbers, yeah. A very, very interesting, interesting trend, but also not surprising. No, not really. Um, I mean, well, the, not to the, us. Well, the, I mean, the film industry is like luxurious, very, very, very big. But um, this is sort of a trend that's been happening for a while, and people engage more and more often with video games. I find than yeah. than with film as a whole even baby boomers yeah <sighs> yeah so what about that other one that other one's really fun so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that <laughs> the other article was about um sports games this was in particular uh, an nba game i believe uh, about people that like athletes have to sign over their likeness to video game companies to like let them use their person in a game. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I mean that happens all the time, uh, and they it, make money from and, it. Uh, yeah, and the so there's some douche magoo lawyer running around like trying. 
my understanding of the story is he goes to artists who have worked on tattoos that famous athletes have, tells them he's going to open a clothing line with their work, gets them to sign over some of their work, and then tries to sue uh, the athletes and the video game developers for using the artist's work without permission and like fires up these bullshit lawsuits for millions of dollars it's it's wonderful and mm-hmm. it's this like super bizarre like really strange use of just the like the fucked up laws that still exist around copyrights and images and f- like i don't it it's just a weird super weird situation <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's utterly nonsensical, but I, I I love it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is quite strange. Quite strange. Um, speaking of copyright laws, uh, a lot of stuff is starting to be is starting to come into uh, contemporary domain. Um, a good example would be. Um, Actually, there there was an article. I think it was in Vice that was about all the stuff that's coming out. So some of the mm-hmm. like the very first um, cartoons, like I think there were stop motion cartoons, but also like sort of uh, North American comic characters. Oh, okay. Um, most of which you can imagine were some rudimentary of them were like cats and stuff, and yeah. some of them were representative of uh, the culture. Um, but also for for geeks like you and I, um, there are like modernist writers are are starting to come up. So um, uh, James Joyce is one. His estate, oh. um, it's gonna have to go public shortly. Uh, as well as uh, like I don't know, Virginia Woolf lived for a bit longer, but uh, T. S. Eliot as well. Uh, his a lot of his stuff is going to go into the public domain. Okay. Um, I mean, that's if uh, the estate holders don't find ways to revive Bump those copyrights, up. which yeah. they might. Yeah. Um, but something tells me James Joyce will probably just go into public domain. Uh, I, I guess it really just depends on who's sitting on the rights. It's often surprising, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, for for English uh, for English kids. Um, <laughs> And for literary geeks, that's uh, that's always fun to uh, to watch and see what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I've only got one story. Give her. Uh, but it's good. Uh, Extra credits uh, did a really nice series over the holidays. Uh, I was I think about three different videos, and it was uh, because games matter. Um, and it's it's not a new thing. I I believe that they've released a number of videos uh, w- with the uh, moniker because games matter. Okay. Um, but yeah. but the three that came out this holiday season were actually pr- uh, they were pretty good. Not to say that the ones that have come up before weren't, but um, one of the ones that really stuck in my head was a teachable moment. Uh, that's actually the name of the episode. I'll make sure that it's um it's in the show notes. Uh, just a link to the to the video, and it's it's actually all about a teacher um, just engaging with his classroom and recognizing that one of the um, one of the students that was scoring like lowest on on like grades and engagement um, things like that, uh, just his struggle to try and engage with that individual up into the point where he recognized that she was interested in Kingdom Hearts and was actually wearing a shirt with a character that he recognized. And then 
what he did is he just changed his approach when discussing things with her and used examples from video games, uh, oh, okay. specifically Kingdom Kingdom Hearts, um, which resulted in um, like a measurable increase in engagement from from the student. Um, like she basically opened up inside and suddenly became one of the most active members of the classroom was not afraid to use video game references in the classroom to, huh. uh, to elaborate on her ideas. Yeah. And that was like, it, it was, that's what this video is all about. It's just about creating a culture where you don't have to be ashamed or afraid of discussing the things that you like yeah. and how they are actually valuable sources of information and knowledge. And like, that was really like, <laughs> like it's kind of what we're trying to get at. Yeah. We're sort of fumbling um, because we're not experts, but like, it was just so awesome to see an example of that portrayed and like of all the places, extra credits really does a good job yeah. of, um, curating and representing information like that. So, uh, I was happy to see that video, but I would, I would encourage anybody to check out all of the, because games matter, um, episodes. I mean, that's literally their tagline for all of their episodes but like the the because games matter dedicated episodes um are are usually about people who aren't involved in extra credits at all so yeah man it was uh just nice that was nice so yeah everybody who has a chance go into the show notes and take a look at that video because that was fun Mm -hmm. um and that's really all i've got uh there there were some other interesting articles that came up in uh in the the geek geek therapy uh, Facebook page, but I um I didn't spend enough time with them. Yeah. Like there's some good stuff. There's always good stuff in in that community. Um, but I don't have the time to read all of it. And sometimes even the stuff I want to read, I just I forget. Yeah. And yeah. Go back to it. So. Um. Yeah, man. So hey, let's uh let's jump into what we learned from gaming. So now we're gonna, you know pick a game that we like and talk about it (laughs) (laughs) this is the section of the show where we do that so well uh, said (laughs) yeah so Stu, do you want to go first or do you want to go second for this one Mm. i'm uh why why don't you go first okay yeah oh Stu, Stu, my game i'm gonna try to not talk too much because this is a game that we have both talked about before hmm Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about Stellaris. So Stellaris was yeah. designed by Paradox Interactive. It was published by Paradox, Paradox Interactive. Its date of publish was May 2016 for PC. So we are coming up on third year um, of this game's life this coming May, so May 2019, which is crazy. Yeah, but it's, it's older unusual. than I thought, yeah. Yeah, not unusual for a Paradox game when you think that they're still pushing content for Crusader Kings, which came out in, I think, 2012, and Europa Universalis 4, which came out in 2013. So Paradox, this is not uncommon for them to continue to roll out systems and uh, just content updates for their very successful um, uh, strategy line. So in terms of genre type... Uh, Stellaris, I know I just mentioned uh, some other games, but that, that those are really just buzzwords in the, the strategy industry, so whatever. Um, so 
Um, Stellaris is a 4X real-time strategy game uh, with an adjustable play speed, which is awesome. You can even pause it. Uh, so when I say 4X, it's uh, explore, explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. That is what those 4Xs are for. Um, and the game mechanics sort of lean into encouraging you to do all of those things depending on your play style. So in terms of core mechanics for the game, uh, we have talked about this game before, but I think it, it bears repeating that uh, this is a game where you can either choose a pre-made race, uh, a spacefaring race that's just about to enter the stars and start colonizing um, its own universe or its own uh, galaxy as well as other nearby solar systems and, and just the, the whole galaxy. Um, so uh, you can either choose a race or you can completely create your own spacefaring race um, that you wish to control. And then you set out exploring the universe um, one star at a time or uh, sometimes not stars. Sometimes it's like a tri-star or binary stars or wormholes or other anomalies. Um, you expand your power base and your empire um, into those other systems. You exploit the resources that you amass uh, in those systems that, that you conquer, and then you also exploit the technology that you acquire over time, and eventually you exterminate anything that you feel needs to be treated that way, either defensively or aggressively, depending on the type of person you're playing um, mm -hmm. or the type of uh, faction you're playing. So in terms of pros, there is an incredible amount of freedom in terms of creation of race. Uh, there... They've sort of dumbed things down. There, there, there were also options for space travel. You used to be able to choose between three. One of them was a gateway system where you could set up a, a focus gate and just shoot yourself here, there, and everywhere. There was a hyperdrive system, which allowed you to just go as far as your engines would let you, but you didn't have to. Um, there were no linear pathways. You just sort of went in a direction and that was where you went like to the next nearest star um but they have since rolled that back and now the game is all space lanes with the option to unlock other subs or other um faster than light travel so you can unlock jump drives and you can unlock gateways um gateways are very late tech um jump drives are, are i would say mid-game tech um so where can I go from here? Allowing for incredible amounts of options, right? So like you have a number of options, like you can choose to be mammals. You can choose to be humanoid. You can choose to be like a sentient fungus or sentient plants. Um, and there are like, um, facial representations for all of these things. You can choose what clothes you wear and then you can get into the nitty gritty. So you can choose, <coughs> you can choose your politics and policies if you're playing bugs or i mean you can do this with anybody so like you could choose to be a hive mind a gestalt hive mind so like a single queen or a single consciousness that is spread out across many drones you can also do that as a machine empire if you have an expansion um so you can actually create a robot race um uh, yeah, just uh, just a lot of options. Um, uh, what what's really important to note is that the bionic or the bionic the biology biological options. Sorry, running on a, not very much sleep. The biological options. Uh, you have to choose what types of um, 
what types of government, what types of uh, traits you have. Um, so you can choose to be something like an autocracy. You can choose to be a meritocracy. You can choose to be a diplomacy. You can be, uh, for lack of a better word, authoritarian. Um, like you can be space Nazis if you want. I mean, if that's what you're into, you can be slaving despots. Uh, the latest expansion allows for um, you to be super corporations, so you can be a mega corporation that controls entire star systems and and like your own little corner of the galaxy. Um, they've got systems in there now so that you can also play as a criminal mega organizations, uh, otherwise known as like pirate pirate cartels. So you can you can be pirates, um, and then you can like exploit people that way. If that's what you're into, like it's, it is staggering, staggering the options in that game. And what's interesting is there are a bunch of systems that are in place in this game that sort of dictate how you engage with all of those other forms of politics. So a really interesting example. Um, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to get through these pros pretty quick cause I don't want to get too deep into it until, uh, until we've we've had some more talk about uh, about systems in the game, but uh, I like to play robots. Uh, I like to play a, uh, a centralized core that controls many drones. So it's it's all just a gestalt consciousness. But because I play robots, <coughs> anytime I encounter anybody who's religious, they automatically hate me because they assume that my like my people are soulless they have no souls they're just machines and so they're actually heresy um and this is sort of a common thing that i encounter in <laughs> on a regular basis because there's actually quite a lot of uh religious creatures out in the universe it turns out every time i play uh there's there's a lot um and those are negative modifiers to engagement with that race so when i try to negotiate with them when i try to do anything and even if say they're being played by another human that doesn't mean that the race itself accepts me. Even if their ruler is like, okay, yeah, these people aren't so bad, or like these robots aren't so bad, um, the race as a whole still doesn't feel that way. So there are inherent biases um, that are actually built, like systems built into this game that you encounter as you play. And that's that's something that's interesting. It actually sort of breathes life into the whole politics thing. Um and and diplomacy like it's it's uh i mean i'll get into it a little bit more but that's makes it that's more of a simulation yeah and uh, like a, another one of the big pros of this game and i'll get into it in a little bit is that this it, it really is designed to play more like a story than a true strategy game i mean there's absolutely strategy there there are lots of options um you can win this game but it's not always easy um and uh, sometimes that's really not the point of playing it. And I'll get into that in a little bit more as well. Um, but it's important to remember that even if you're losing, it can still be a great story, uh, especially the way that this game plays out. And there may be options that you aren't even seeing. So um, I, I do really want to come back to that, and I'll come back to that when, when we're summarizing the game and you and I are actually engaging about it. But uh, in terms of cons for this game... Uh, there can be some late game tedium. Uh, there used to be a lot more mid game tedium as well. So uh, before a bunch of content got pu pushed out in patches, 
and expansions, um, you would kind of stall out mid-game, and you didn't really know what you were doing. You were just kind of going through the motions, and then you were in late game, and it's a long time to play and not really engage with anything. There, there have been things put into the game, uh, new new elements and expansions. So uh, there are crises that happen in the game. There was always an end game crisis, but sometimes it took a really long time to get there. And once you got there, sometimes maybe you weren't really prepared for it, and you got smashed really quick, and that's not fun. Or um, it just took so long to get there that you stopped playing. Now there's mid-game crises, which uh, really sp spruce things up. Um, the way the politics works now, uh, the way that uh, the space lanes, so hyperspace every uh, travel is linear, so you have to follow space lanes. Um, like you can actually shut your borders, keep people out. Uh, it makes diplomacy and war and all kinds of things really, really interesting. Um, that whole system has been really, really worked. And uh, so now mid game isn't so bad. I'm in a late game uh, right now, and I'm making my own fun as I wait for the end game crisis. But the problem—that's my fault. Um, <laughs> that is 100% my fault. I I tooled things around, and I accidentally made them a little too easy because I, I pushed the end game crisis off for I think 50 years, mm. not realizing how long 50, 50 years, years is. is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oops, that's my bad. Um, it's going to happen, and I'm going to be so ready for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to play that one to completion, and I've actually just started to really experiment with um, some of the other systems in the game. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, also, uh, 4X games aren't for everyone. Right, yeah. either turn-based or real-time. Uh, this game is real-time, which means that it, it runs like it isn't a turn system. You just let the clock run. Uh, you can pause it. You can increase the speed so you can speed everything up, but that is dependent on the ability of your machine. Um, and what's interesting is my uh, my almost three-year-old laptop, which is as old as this game, still has trouble with this game at at uh, at late game because there's so much going on on the star map, and I think it tries to render all of it. Um, which is foolish and man, does it ever slow things down? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, that's just, that's a design yeah, decision. Yeah. Um, so whatever, I can also turn the settings down. I just haven't yet. Uh, cause I refuse to believe that my computer can't handle it. Um, <laughs> so what did I learn from this game? Uh, in terms of, you know what? One of the, the, the we talked about this early on in the show, and for strategy games in particular, this is important. This is short-term, uh, mid-term, and long-term planning. And wow, does this game ever reward you for thinking this way? So, um, in Stellaris, like it's as much making your own fun as it is trying to to play the game and engage with the systems. So you need to be able to uh, decide what your short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals are. Like the big, big long-term goal is win the game. Uh, presumably that's why you're coming to it, or at least have a good time or build an empire that you're, you're proud of. Um, but good examples of short-term goals are things like, okay, I want to colonize this next system or I want to uh, stabilize my economy. Um, Midterm goals are 
probably I want to make sure that I can lock down this entire cluster or constellation of stars that I'm living in because I don't want people sneaking in and hitting my vulnerable sectors. I want to make sure that I have defenses in place. And then long term is I want to be able to expand past these constellations and move towards a certain direction or maybe like move towards a certain goal. Uh, and also what's interesting is those long-term goals can, can be sort of academic as well. So you can be like, I want to see if maybe I can become a psionic race or change my entire civilization into synthetic beings or genetically modify myself so that I can and this is creepy but it exists in the game so that I can procreate with all other alien biological life forms in the universe <laughs> which produces some of the most fascinating races you will see in the game oh uh, I bet. let me just tell you uh like that I somebody decided to put it in it's in there now and wow wow um <sighs> so uh, this is also a game that loves for you to talk about it. Um, and we're going to start talking about uh, experiences in a second. I'm going to open things up and then Sue, you and I can talk about our engagement with the game. And I can talk about the latest game that I'm playing. And just sort of spin a small story for the audience. Uh, just to get a, an idea of what we take away from Stellaris. Um, and it often allows you to intuitively create narratives about your experiences uh, and I will show you how easy that is in a second um, so this is an example of a game this is also an example of a game that continues to change the game of Stellaris right now is so drastically different from what it was when it released in 2016 that it's like it's the same game it's the same framework but the systems have altered um so some of the systems that have altered is the planetary screen it's no longer just tiles that you build stuff on now there's a whole planetary setup um and you have to basically figure out what you're going to do with your population and plan how you're going to expand your planet um there's a new economy in place where all of the resources are um, marketable so you can actually sell them on the galactic market once uh, once you're exposed to other races there's also an internal market that you have uh, with your own race so you can at the start of the game sell the more generic resources but as you get into the end game there are actually higher higher level resources so generic resources are minerals energy um, commodities so that's uh, just stuff that people like um, and need to survive and then food which is the other side of it so um, commodities is like the stuff that you need to live in a house um, also housing is is interestingly uh, a resource but it's like it's a planetary based resource um, but those are those are the, the the big big ones and then from there you can use your resources to make or you can use minerals to make alloys which you build ships out of or you can eventually learn how to make crystals, which are good for like making ships that use big lasers and all kinds of crap like that. So uh, it gets into like goofy sci-fi. Um, but yeah, Stu, um, I'm playing Solaris again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the new version of it is good. But, like, I'm cursed because now I know that they're going to be working on an espionage and diplomacy oh. expansion that's going to build things out. 
And that is such a big deal because it's an element that doesn't exist in the game yet. And what's funny is sometimes people will throw this at a developer and be like, hey, why didn't you just release a finished game? Well, to that, I would argue, and the developer probably would too, it's taken them three years past launch to get to this point. Yeah. Things aren't as easy as they used to be. Um, or you couldn't just release a game and expect people to accept it. Um, so, also, they want to release systems that are well fleshed out, about as balanced as can reasonably be expected, and uh, that are fun to engage with. Yeah. And I think that they're really starting to hit their stride. Um, like, the, the, the economic revamp... Um, Took a little while to get used to, but now that I'm used to it, I I really enjoy it's it. Pretty robust, yeah. Yeah, I really really enjoy it. So, um, but yeah, I I restarted a game. <laughs> I started as the robots again, mm-hmm. and wow did I learn! Wow did I learn! But before I get into uh, the quick story of the Calibrix automated core, uh, why don't we talk about your experiences with Stellaris if you have any you want to share? Well, I guess I I, t- I don't often play as robots. My kind of my go-to is often like a pacifistic technocrat, and it it plays very much like how it sounds. They're they're um, not necessarily xenophobic, but there's a li- you end up being a little bit xenophobic because <laughs> it's hard to deal with other races when like. As a player, I'm a warmonger. I it, like you give all I want is a boot big enough to crush people under my heel. And that's where the technology comes in because the technology gives you the opportunity to do that. Yes, but having everyone in your empire be very pacifistic means you're not allowed to do any of it. <laughs> that's fine. It's, yeah, that's it's, it's, forcing it's, your hand. Yeah, it's this wonderful, like coy game of diplomacy seeing what you can get away with until somebody finally invades you and then you like erase them from the face of the galaxy and teach everybody a lesson sort of thing it it's this it's i don't know it's it's really weird um it has always played out strangely when i've done that yeah Um, but it's and then it's really difficult to manage um conquering other people because when you move to a planet, the first thing I want to do is cleanse the surface of whatever volatile oh, scum happens dude, to be living there right now. You but you're, you can't anymore. you can't do that when you're pacifistic. So, so it's, yeah. it yeah it throws a lot of weird challenges, but it ends up you end up with this like crazy crazy. Um, it actually does kind of turn into a melting pot. It's surprising how often other cultures assimilate relatively well when, you know, they're coming out of something like a tyrannical, despotic, slave-bound system, and then they come to your house and they're like, oh, we could just do what we want and nobody hits us with sticks. This is actually kind of cool. Yeah, and that's a really nice system in the game where if you actually end up with other races in your territory, like actually on your planets, um... They will influence your people, but really you like your because they're in your environment, because they're being immersed in your culture, they slowly start becoming more like 
your people, but they still hold on to those other quirks. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really that's a good example that I don't always notice because as a as a robot player, uh, simulation is putting them into matrix style batteries until they die. Yeah, um, Make- which is a story in itself. Oh, it's efficient. I mean, I would do that if 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 I could. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, the the stories that come out of that whole, I guess, genre style of play can can be fairly interesting the the technocratic side of it um ends up putting a kind of a weird spin on it and it, it's really interesting when there are uh, i for, i think the opposite of the technocracy is the the spiritualistic folks and every yes. now and then you do find those pacifistic spiritualist hippies and it's it's like blindingly frustrating to bump into a large empire like that when you're a pacifistic technocracy because these two empires that are almost in complete opposition to each other and no one wants to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All they want to do is shout across yeah. the hall. Yeah, we just like politely disagree and like we have these elaborate plans to burn our neighbor's house down, but no one, you know, it's like it's illegal to have those plans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> oh, Stu. That's fun. That's uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So I restarted the Calibrix Automated Core. Uh, the concept of it is it's this race of robots that has awakened. Uh, that was they were designed to be incredibly um, efficient, and they're builders. So what they do is they build. Um, and then the intent of of this race is that they assemble quickly. They're expensive to build, but they assemble quickly. Um, and uh, they just spread out and um, continue to grow and learn and build to the best of their efficiency until they encounter something they haven't encountered before. And then they try and understand it. And then they engage with it. And hilarity ensues. Um, and that really did happen this time. <laughs> It <laughs> really did happen. I've really started to engage with all the systems in the game. So um, I ended up being in, like, I turned a bunch of stuff up. Um, so, like, the, the number of races that you would encounter, stuff like that, just so that the universe didn't feel so empty. So stale, also, yeah. Yeah, I also increased the number of habitable worlds, which I encourage yes. everyone to do. Oh, yes, It starts Lord, at, yes. like, I think one. Move it up to at least a percentile of two, like a, a times two. Um it makes the universe so much more populable. So like you, you actually have planets for a change instead of just like a bunch of nothing. Uh, Cause I feel like that is too low. Yeah. The, the, the default the, is too low. The initial uh, explore and expand. Otherwise, if you get a, a bit of bad luck, boring. you, you yeah. explore like 20 different star systems before you find a single tiny planet to which you can expand. It's really, I I don't know where that decision came from, but it's not a design decision that I appreciate. Yeah. Um, I'm glad so they let uh, you change that, that yeah. value. And yeah. And that, that's, that's a big deal because like you can really completely define what your universe looks like in this game as well. And that's, that's fun. Um, I like that that's an option. Um, and the systems do function. Like I can, I can confirm that everything that you can manipulate, uh, it does exactly what it's supposed to. And that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice when a game does that. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so the Calibrics, um, so they start doing what they do best, which is they start expanding. I f- get lucky and find a bunch of really nice worlds uh, right away, like big worlds um, and multiple in a single system. So you can put a single governor in there and, and he'll just handle the whole system. And that's nice. Um but my my corner of the universe is still really uh, if if you think of the universe imagine the universe is a map and i'm in the northwest of the habitable galaxy um because there's just emptiness at the end uh <laughs> and there's emptiness in the center it's weird um but uh yeah for some reason there wasn't a lot of stuff uh, behind me so like in the north and the, the western part so I was able to just expand and fill in that and I started running into races and some of them were militant and they would shout horrible things at me over the years um, and basically what I would do is I understood early that in order to keep any organics happy you need to just give them stuff so I would just throw excess anything that I had at them to keep them from um, really bugging me. And that didn't work for anything that was calling um, calling my drones soulless machines. Um, they just kept getting more aggressive and mean. And they started claiming my territory as though it was something that they could take. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's just so... It's so interesting to see how some of these systems work and how some of these... Uh, the, the computers try to like really force your hand. Um, so then like one of the races that I, I finally encounter is uh, uh, it, it's like um, a small tight knit group of marauders and they scream at me and say a bunch of horrible stuff. But if I throw enough money at them, they will go and raid other people. And if anybody tries to get them to raid me, they let me know first and they say, Hey, We've been encouraged to seek violence against you, but if you give us something, we'll leave you alone. So that's my first understanding of violence. Like violent intent is is this manipulation. So I started really using that um, just in time for that small, tight-knit group of marauders to find their con. Um, who then proceeded to try to march against me in a very large fashion. And wow, that ended so bad for me. Um, (laughs) So um, what happens is in a mid-game crisis, uh, there are a number of things that can happen. One is uh, there can be like a a robot revolt um, where uh, somebody has been experimenting with artificial intelligence and the artificial intelligence becomes aware, uh, becomes hostile, and just... Uh, really sort of rips a hole in the middle of your your uh, empire the other mid-game crisis that is very popular right now is the con where one of the uh, mercenary marauder groups just sort of unifies under a single very powerful uh, leader and marches out and i was their closest neighbor so i was getting hit by the con a lot um I was kind of ready for this. Like I had some some very good fleets, uh, and I threw them at the con, who smashed them uh, without any problem. And I thought that was it. Like I thought that was the end of this playthrough. Uh, the con was just going to come in. I had two options: either bend my knee and let him take over my uh, my empire, or uh, just fight to the last. And then 
I remembered that there are so many new systems in this game that I'm just not paying attention to. One of the things was I had taken over um, something that was called the L Cluster. It's a secluded little part of the universe that you need to have access to these special ancient gates to get into. I was the first person to do it, and I quickly, quickly, like, inhabited everything. And on one of the worlds there, I encountered a creature that assimilated, or assimilated, or sorry, no, assumed my image and started talking to me and then... I decided to welcome into my empire and this thing was called gray and what it was is it, it's actually the remnants of nano machines that had consumed everything that existed in the L cluster prior <laughs> and I didn't know this um, but there are three options when you open the L cluster one is it's empty except for this last creature um, the other is it's full of this creature when it is multiplied and everywhere. And then just these nano machines start swarming out and attack you. Mm. Um, and that counts as a mid game crisis. Yeah. Um, and the third is there's a, uh, there's a fallen empire. So there's just like uh, a bunch of grumpy <laughs> like yeah, super yeah. tech guys on the other end who tell you to get lost. And if you infringe too much, they declare war and just smack you. Um, so this creature was in there and I decided to talk to him just to see what my options were. Um, cause he, he said, if you ever want, just come back and talk to me. So I talked to him and he's like, you've accepted me into your empire. I'll, I'll give you some options. Here are three of the options. Um, and one of them was he can become a governor and I can make him like one of the greatest governors to ever govern uh, a sector. Cause he's had, he has so much experience. He's so much older than any, any of the machines in my empire. Um, and I was like, okay, the other one is he can become a ground army. So he actually assumes the form of an entire military force. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, interesting. I've never used military, like I've never used troops before. I usually just bomb or eradicate populations, um, in previous versions of, of this, uh, this playthrough. So, um, I'll keep that in mind. And then the last was, I can turn into a warship. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Yeah, let's uh, let's see what happens. He turns into the strongest ship I've ever seen. <laughs> right? Like he turns mm-hmm. into this super, like he turns into a ship that even now by itself is as powerful as some of my strongest fleets with sh- ships that are the same size as him. Um, so that was an advantage I didn't know that I had. And then the other thing I did is I had a bunch of resources cause I was incredibly efficient. So I decided to uh, solicit the help of the other mercenary marauders band that was on the other side of the universe. And they all flew in and started fighting on my behalf against this great enemy um, because they love fighting. And it was just awesome. Like I just used mercenaries and this weird creature I found in the corner of the universe and we fought back. Eventually I was able to repair my old fleets and um, yeah, uh, we ended up in a bunch of confrontations with this con. Uh, It took two or three before the con got a little too reckless and we actually killed her. And then the empire that she had built, which was substantial and partially mine, um, (laughs) fell into disarray. And then I reclaimed what was mine. Um, and like, that was just an example of don't give up. Um, there's always other options. And then like, I even learned other, uh, so like 
I haven't gotten to the end game crisis. I don't know what that's going to look like this time around. I've, I've encountered some of them before. Sometimes it's like this hideous alien that comes from outside your own universe. Sometimes it's something that bursts in from another dimension and sometimes it's robots. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but I'm also engaging with other systems. So remember how last time I played, I talked about how I didn't know how to engage with biological creatures. Mm. I now know how to make vassals and how to um, basically fight a war to turn people into your subjects. Yeah. So subjugate them through through war. Um, and then when everything's done, their politics sort of shift towards something that's uh, that's that's closer to yours. And they serve you. And then if you have lots of resources, you just shower them with that and keep them happy until they're comfortable as your servants. And then you just sort of leave them alone. Um, and I did that a lot this playthrough. I've got uh, three or four different um, subjugated races under under my banner. And I just keep doing that to anybody who really gets uppity at me. And it's working really well. It's working really, really well. Um, because then I don't have to go through the empire fatigue of owning all that territory. Yeah. And trying to micromanage all of it. I just let them keep doing what they were doing before. Yep. And I can fly through and it's not a big deal. And they throw a little bit of money at me every now and again. And they're all loyal to me. Um, and that's nice. That's nice. Also formed a federation this game, which was really, really cool. It allows you to have access to a whole other Navy. You have to build it, but it doesn't cost any upkeep. And it's uh, <laughs> it's a hell of a thing. But if you misuse it, people get upset. <laughs> um, also, the Navy is controlled by the president of whatever federation. And the presidency is decided by who has the most economic power. Um, so who's like the most powerful member of that federation? They get to call the shots. So you can choose to leave the federation if you don't like the way that things are going, or you can try and topple the president and replace him. Like you can do a, a vote of no confidence, sort of. Um, but that generally doesn't work in your favor. Um, like I think you can actually kick people out of a federation, but you have to have enough votes. And that like it's just like any other system. Like if your vote is not as powerful as my vote, then it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if I can just naysay you. Um, yeah. The, so like the systems that are in there now that I'm really starting to engage with are awesome. Um, and it's, it's made for a very, very interesting game. Um, and it's just an experience that keeps changing. Uh, but it, in my opinion, it keeps getting better. And like, I can't tell you how much I want to play this game with living people. Um, but I still have no idea how to do yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> not cleanly. Yeah, no, like time. Time is the big question. Yeah. The, the cleanest way would be a LAN, right? Um, but like, who who plays a LAN in 2019? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, if you couldn't tell, I really like this game. Mm -hmm. In summary. I would argue it's one of the best 4X experiences you can buy in the market right now. Uh, it does depend on you being able to afford all of the expansions if you want to get all of the content. But what's really good is even just the vanilla version of the game has so much of this content yeah. in it. It just doesn't have playing mega corporations, playing as robots, playing as a hive mind, and then like some of the apocalyptic destroy all the planet weapons, right? That those are just expansion expansions you have to buy. Um, 
But I'd say just uh, sit on it, wait for a sale, and get comfortable with the mechanics and just the vanilla game if uh, if you are running on a budget. If not, pick up what you want, play what you want. Uh, it's uh, it's a heck of a way to play 4X. Yeah. It's, it's not Masters of Orion 2, and I don't think it needs to be. It's great just being its own thing. And that's what I got. All right. I learned that I still love 4X. <laughs> but more importantly, that, like, it it needed to change. It, it didn't need to change. Sorry, I'm going to correct myself. Like, there is nothing wrong with the Master of Orion format. But we've been playing it for, for decades. For a while now, yeah. Um, And this is a type of game and a type of system where one of the things I loved most about masters of Orion two was a uh, turn-based combat where you could control the ships and move them everywhere. And Solaris, you have no control over how your ships fight. Once they're in battle, it's happening. You don't get to control mm-hmm. anything. You can just control whether or not you retreat. Like if you want to withdraw. Um, and even then things get chaotic and that doesn't always play out well. Um, and I don't even care. That doesn't even bug me. Like it. Like think about how much I hate stacks in games like um, Heroes of Might and Magic. Um, I I hate the stack yeah, system. Yeah. These ships are literally just stacks of ships that sp- smash into each other, and the higher numbers will usually win, unless there's like, unless there are other things to consider. Sorry, I dropped a pen. Unless there are other things to consider, like shields. Yeah, uh, like versus weird, a certain weird weapon tech type. stuff. Yeah. Um. And that doesn't bug me. Like I like the way that all of the systems work, and uh, and I really enjoy playing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, Solaris. Uh, I just keep learning. <laughs> also, I keep losing so many hours to that game. Yeah. I'm at uh, seven thousand. Do I want to tell you how how many hours I've played of this game? Because it it's is it's still less than a thousand. It is staggering. Uh, According to this, it's 151 or no, 251 yeah. hours. Yeah, that's over th- almost three years. That's a lot. It's like an hour a week. That's a lot. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah, that's the game. That's the game I did. Uh, not everybody's gonna like that segment, but guess what? I love Stellaris. <laughs> I'm happy I got to talk about it. Um. And uh, hopefully, you learn from me. So, Stu, do you have All anything right. else you want to say? Not, no, not not about Solaris. No. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Let's move on to your game. All right. Um, so I'm. I know uh, a lot of the stuff that I've talked about has been older older games. I'm going to completely 180 on that. Um, this I'm is. Excited. This I think is. I know what you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, this is the most recent game that we've covered. Uh, it was released in October of 2018, so that's like three months ago ish um i really want to talk about the return of the obra din yeah man that's awesome um if if you i'm i'm gonna talk about it like with spoilers there's not really a ton to spoil but um i would say if you if you are interested in puzzle games go check it out or if you're interested in game design at all go check it out do like don't listen to this section of the podcast maybe go do that first um if you're not sure if you'd like it i'd say check out 
like find Let's Play, watch the first like 15 minutes or something. It's effectively the tutorial. That'll kind of show you the core game mechanics and you can decide whether or not you like it. Um, yeah, and, and just see, see if that's something you're interested in before letting it totally get spoiled here. Um, so in The Return of the Oberdin, um, you play as a, I guess, like an insurance inspector dude, man. The game takes place on a ship called the Oberdin, which was like a 17, 1800s trade vessel owned by the East India Company, which disappeared, and then someday it comes back, and there's nobody alive on it. So it's all mysterious and spooky. So you get sent out to go figure out what the hell happened to the 60-odd souls that were on board. Uh, so you get there, you're, you're given a logbook, which has a few sketches that were done by an artist that happened to be on board. So you can see the faces of everybody that was there. You're given uh, a passenger manifest, so you can see the names and the ranks of all the crew members and the passengers that were on board. Uh, and you you kind of use those and a, like a magical pocket watch to uh, discern the fates of everybody. So the pocket watch lets you approach a corpse that's on the ship. Uh, you use the watch and you're treated to like 10 or so seconds of an audio clip, which are the last 10 seconds of that corpse's life. And then you're immediately placed into kind of like a 3D diorama of the instant that that person expired. And you can explore the scene. So there's your deaded person and hopefully you can see how they have been deaded and the context in which they have been deaded. Uh, maybe somebody killed them. Maybe they did something stupid. Maybe a combination of both. And then you write down in your book, this person died in this way. And hopefully you can figure out who that person is. So it's effectively a big-ass logic puzzle. Um, a deductive reasoning thing because there's a little bit of kind of some of the identities are pretty tricky to get down uh, there's a little bit of process of elimination uh, but the game does a ton of things really really well so this initially I was just gonna listen to somebody play this game and try and glean a couple things from it but I got pulled into it really really quickly and and picked it up and played through it and played through it relatively quickly too. I was pretty excited about it. So a lot of uh, one of the problems that a lot of puzzle games like this have uh, it, it's I'm surprised that it was made by only one guy because there a lot of stuff was really elegantly solved. Like you, you can't really brute force your way through a lot of a lot of solutions. A lot of games like this, you kind of like pick somebody's name like you say okay it was uh mrs white in the ballroom because you know that but maybe you don't know how somebody was murdered so then you flip through the options was it the candlestick no was it the revolver no was it the rope oh and then the game says you got it right but you have to get everything you have to match three different fates before you get a golden sticker so you can't really brute force your way through things you actually have to um uh, you have to get several things right 
before the game says, okay, we're going to lock these away. And now, you know, you don't have to worry about those anymore. That ends up kind of being a good thing because again, you can't brute force it, but you do still slowly get uh, all the pictures coming together, which can really help if you're, if you weren't really certain, uh, because some of the clues are a little bit fuzzy. Uh, some of the sound clips, you might hear somebody's name spoken. Usually it's pretty clear, but you might not necessarily know to whom that name was said. So you might not actually know that this person is in fact John. Maybe somebody was talking to the person beside you thought was John, and that's John. Um, some of the uh, some of the clues that you have to bump into are really really interestingly done. I think there there are multiple ways for you to determine certain people's fates and identities. Um, he allowed for the developer allowed for a bit of a forgiving. Uh, forgiving solution set so it may be ambiguous if somebody was um, for example stabbed or shot uh, that may or may not be in the game but it, it, you could get away with using either of those for an answer then it's not it's not really a, a super pundit with a bunch of that stuff can I can I ask how do you put your answers in so once you've seen uh, once you've used the magical watch to step into that diorama, you have a little bit of time. You have unlimited time there, and you can go and revisit the scenes whenever you want. But after being in it for 10 or 15 seconds and their little trumpet fanfare or whatever uh, plays, um, then you can use that, that logbook, and it will show you the face of the person who's dead. And you kind of just select from drop down. So you can say, who is this person? And you click on the identity box. And then the passenger manifest comes up and you select which identity you think it is. So it could be the captain, could be the first mate, could be the cook. It could have been one of the passengers. And you just pick the name of the person that you want to put in there. Uh, then what happened to them? So how did they die? You would again pick from a drop down. So were they shot where they stabbed did they kill themselves did they blow up did they you know eat something silly did they get sick and die did they f fall overboard uh, so you pick one of those and if it was something that had happened to them like falling overboard would be um wouldn't have an option of uh who did they fall overboard with but if they were shot you would have to indicate who shot them so after you lock in those three pieces of information and they're correct, and you've done that for three different people, so it's you know effectively nine pieces of information correct, then the game says, okay, these, these three people you have sorted. Good job. How many people are there? 60-ish. Uh, Ooh, okay, yeah, yeah. so there's, there's a bit to it. Yeah, so it, yeah, it, it takes a little while to go through. So the first, the first few bodies that you bump into uh, they kind of spoon feed you the first few before expanding it just so that you, you get a, a pretty solid feel for, yes, this is something I know. Oh, this is something I don't know. So you treat those a little bit differently and progress accordingly. So the game does kind of tutorialize the first little bit. So it's it's relatively easy to jump into. I think the interface is a little bit confusing at first. 
once you've used it to solve a couple of people, uh, then it really like it, it clicks, it locks in and you're really comfortable with it. So the, uh, along with the solutions being a little bit fluid, the clues that are available are uh, pretty, pretty uh, diverse as well. So you, some of the identities aren't, you know, people's names being called. They might, you might have to pay attention to the way they dress because certain positions on a ship crew will dress similarly. Uh, sometimes yep. it's the people that they hang out with. There are people of different ethnicities, so you need to pay attention to uh, the other people that they hang out with, the, what language they speak, uh, who they spend their off time with. Like any of that could be important. Um, th so in some cases, there are some people have little props. And at first glance, it, it won't appear to really be something that identifies a person. Because it, it's a crew of 60 people. I mean, it, it's relatively diverse. So you don't pay attention to like a straw hat or somebody's pipe or what somebody's holding. But then in some entirely, I mean, apparently unrelated scene, you might see that prop. And it, that might actually be a link that you can use to identify somebody. So it turns into a lot of just being super like being hyper observant about everything. Uh, and I think that, that that's kind of one of the most interesting things from the game to me. It, okay. The information is delivered to you in very different, very interesting ways that kind of, it's kind of like a casual observer would glance over this detail. And in many cases, that happens. And if you listen to, I would recommend listening to a Let's Play of it even after you've played it, to just to see the different details that people notice, the different cues and clues that people pick up on. It's it's fascinating that he was able to actually, like, I, I can't imagine the amount of testing that had to, to happen for this kind of thing, for there to be multiple different kinds of clues to lead you to the same solution. So it's it doesn't have that old pixel hunty kind of kind of problem where you're you're chasing down this one stupid hard piece of information but you just didn't look in this one specific place so you won't know. There are multiple clues in multiple places that just you probably won't notice most of them, but you'll see nice. one of them. Yeah. Uh, and so th that element of the design, I think, was really, really well done as well. Um, just, yeah, just super cool. Uh, and that, I think I almost learned more, as much or more from hearing other people play the game after I had. Simply because y you get to see the way people's minds work when i mean when you're trying to apply deductive reasoning and it's a bit of a fuzzy image and you're working from slightly different clues because you notice different things it is it is in just incredibly fascinating to me yeah huh. 
you know, like it's I I do enjoy the idea that so many different types of I don't know if I would call it learning, but um, just uh, clues, right? So, but it it could be any kind of cue, right? There could be um, sentence structure or narrative that's spoken uh, that that someone gets attached to that you don't even notice whereas you might be more visually inclined and notice notice things like that hat like that straw hat or something smaller like a pocket watch or something um that's on a body later um i just i think that's really cool that there's not just one like the the, the end is the same right the the deduction is the same there is one right answer yeah. But how you get to that right answer, there are so many different avenues to get there, and that sounds awesome. Yeah, and that that's something that's, I think, difficult to appreciate on on just your own single playthrough. Um, there will be instances of you'll lock something down, and then once once you see that that was right, you'll be traveling through another scene and go, oh, look, that, that thing, that's another clue that indicates that that I already got. Um, but I didn't realize that before, but now thinking about it again, uh, yeah, that's another way to link those things together. So you will see, Can you will see some of that, but again, just what, like hearing somebody else play, you, you'll be exposed to a lot more of that. Can you lock down things and be wrong or does it just no. not let you do it? No. So okay. if you are dead certain about these three people and the fates that they had, and you are absolutely certain about it and it doesn't lock them in, then you are absolutely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) About at least one of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like... I wonder what that game would be like if the lock-in system didn't exist, if you just put the stuff in there and left it to fate. Like, would you if you got a report card at the end? um, I feel like that would be interesting. A lot more trial and error would be involved. You do do get a sort of report card at the end because you've end up filing your report for the insurance company and they go through all the people and say okay this is the fate that you said this is blah 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 so it would be this money this money this money blah 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 um but i think it would be super cumbersome to have to rely on that report card every time it would be a lot more actual paperwork for a player rather than yeah and it the other fascinating thing is you could probably scrub through any let's play of it i thought maybe this was just me and like an old programming habit but when when you hear the ding or like the the triumphant you got it right music ticks in and the text boxes start coming up saying well done you've decided three fates correctly and it walks and it shows you the three that you got right and changes their font and the way they're displayed so you know that they're locked in every time that happens i threw my arms up in the air because it was fascinating it was just like oh my god i'm the best um yeah and it turns out that just about everybody who plays this game actually does that and does feel that way when they get something locked in it is so so funny funny. it's so it's such a yeah it's such a good feeling yeah okay cool brilliant um yeah yeah so like the story that it has is kind of interesting um like it's enough to keep you curious. Okay. There's Yeah, there's there's nothing 
Nothing um, super bad about the story, I don't think. Uh, he did admit he had a hard time. Like, it took a couple years for him to come up with a uh, plausible reason for, you know, 60-some-odd people to disappear off a ship because normally that doesn't happen. You yeah. know, people yeah. people don't just all kill each other and die. and uh, So the, the, a bit of that effort went into it. That would be a bad story. Yes. Yeah, that would be a bad yeah. story. The dying ship. So... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That was a very deep pull into our past, referring to a creative work referred to as the dying room. Um, For yeah. anyone who doesn't understand that <laughs> joke, um, yeah. So, so the entirety of the game does take place on the ship. Um, the the way it's displayed is is kind of weird because it's it's monochromatic. It's a bit mm -hmm. of a charm. It's just also a way that like it was made by one guy, so it's. A little bit easier for him to do yeah, with just he had one to figure card. out how yeah. to do graphics in a way that was easy for him. Yeah, and uh, yep. especially because there's there's very little animation. He didn't have to like uh, throw skeletons and rig and animate all of these people uh, in the ridiculous, uh, obscene situations that they end up in. Right, um, right. Because you're you, again the dioramas that you see are they're still shots. So like the when you're on the ship the sails and ropes move and um like it's not a perfectly still world and please watch a video rather than just looking at the screenshots because the screenshots really don't do it justice i was kind of surprised once i saw it how much it kind of flowed and worked i didn't ex i i thought that the visuals were going to be something i was going to have to fight against the entire time but it settled pretty quickly cool yeah, I've looked at a few images, but I haven't watched any gameplay videos yet. I think, I think that's the gist of it. Yeah, I was I was okay. excited to see the way um, the puzzle genre in general was handled very very well. Uh, you'll learn, uh, you're gonna learn a little bit about that old style of ship, uh, the the yeah. way they're laid out, the way crews would function, that kind of thing. The inherent racism between crew There's members. There's a little bit of that too. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and just the it 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 when you start to notice some of the clues that you breeze over the first time, it's it can be kind of an introspective thing. Like, how come I didn't notice that at first? What brought my attention to that? And that's something that's, I don't know, just interesting to notice what you notice. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, I don't, I don't know, that's something that I'm just always super, super duper curious about. Because anything that we, anyone thinks or sees or witnesses, like y you always have your own, you always bring your own biases to the table. And something like this can kind of help you show you some of that like it's not an ideological bias but just what you can actually perceive i guess yeah it shines a light on either your your perceptive strengths or maybe some of even your blind spots yeah. so that's that's why i really liked it that cool. was neat to me yeah cool cool recommend it cool well 
yeah, I uh, it's you. That was mostly spoiler free, so I think I could probably play through it and not be super surprised, uh, or no, still be super surprised and engaged in the story. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah, you really didn't spoil much. So, um, cool, 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 cool. Uh, I will probably wait till it's on sale, yeah, but then yeah. uh, give it a go. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's, uh, I think most people took from eight to ten hours to play yeah. through it, and I. Th- I think it's my favorite game of 2018. I like I Ooh, I really really highly 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 recommend it. I'm a big fan. It beat the Quiet Man, hey? It what? What? Uh, sorry, there's a game called The Quiet Man which is uh it's sort of an experimental game that Square Enix released where you play an individual who is deaf. Um oh. No subtitles. Uh, you just hear what the deaf gentleman hears, and it's all about you beating people up. Huh. Interesting. Mm, not really. Hey, okay, well, interesting concept. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, uh, maybe 2018 is uh, the year of some successful uh, experiments and some not successful experiments. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I will say that uh, Fred Rojas from Gaming History 101 has a has a uh, stream, a video stream, so you can go back and actually watch him play it and get a feel for whether or not you would be interested in that game at all. <laughs> okay. I was not. Um, yeah, wow. Um, but cool. Oberdin sounds awesome. I, I, I want to get my hands on it and go through it sometime. It's an experience that I don't think you encounter a lot. No. Presently. No. Maybe this will jumpstart that genre. But like well written, well presented yes. mystery and deduction. Yeah. I don't think you see a lot of that right now. No, really not. And I mean it's I think he's turning into one of the developers I'm really gonna want to watch because the only previous title under his name is Papers Please. Which was Which is also a, a great game. Yeah, again another uh, fan favorite, critically acclaimed, and unique. Yes, distinct. Yeah, very distinct kind kind of game. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Neat. Wow. Okay. Cool. 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 Um. All right. Well, I don't know if I have anything else to say about that, so we can shoot into the next section if you want. All right. Okay. So the next section is what can you teach us? And right now I can confirm that no one can teach us anything (laughs) if they don't send an email. Mm. So that's better. If uh, there's, yeah, if there's anything that you want us to talk about or anything you want us to engage with or anything you just want to say to us about our show, feel free to email us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. And fill up this section. We want to talk to people about what we learned from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next, we'll go into what we've been playing. So, Stu, do you want to talk about games you've been playing, or do you want me to go first? Um, I've just been talking a lot, so why don't you go? Okay. So, um, played a bunch of Stellaris, but we already knew that. Um also got my hands on Super Smash Brothers Ultimate for the Switch, and that game is a Smash Brothers game. Um, <laughs> which, no, like uh, uh, that's not condemning by any stretch oh, of the imagination. My, like I love Smash Brothers. Sorry, um, again for from, yeah, for me no, it is. Yeah. But, yeah. 
yeah, um, it, it it's actually been quite enjoyable. Nice. Uh, I've I've really really liked it. It's hands down the best. Like when they call it ultimate, uh, it seems like a sort of a pompous kind of shitty thing to say, but no, it is. It's a good, good. It's the best Smash game I've ever played. So good, good, good. Uh, about seventy playable characters. Like it's nuts. Yeah. Um, all kinds of different modes and ways to play. Um, and I've I've really been enjoying it. Um, sort of fell off Pokemon, haven't really gone back to that lately, but because I have started playing Monster Hunter World again for PS4, there was an announcement for an expansion that's coming out in the fall, and it's a bit of a game to get through, um, so I figured I would go back to it and start playing it, and guess what? Once you understand the bullshit systems in that game, um, going back to it is a lot of fun. Like, I have to start from nothing. I have to start from scratch. But I was just like, you know what? I'm going to play with a different weapon this time. I'm going to experiment. Like, I'm familiar with these monsters. I'm a little more confident. And I am having a blast. I'm having a great time. Um, I'm using, what's it called? It's called a hunting horn. So it's sort of like a mix between bagpipes and a sledgehammer. Um, And I do terrible things to monsters and then play music over their corpses. Nice. It is like it is what a ridiculous so weapon. You, but it's it's sorry, go ahead. I was ahead. just gonna say so you're playing a dwarf. Uh I guess, except I actually um there was a Final Fantasy promotion going on when I made my character, so I made her a character from Final Fantasy Six mm. and I made the accompanying little cat creature uh look like a Moogle. Um so yeah, that's fair. named named Mog. Yeah. So uh, Final Fantasy VI theme. Uh, so I've got Terra and Mog, and we just go around smacking the dinosaurs. shit <laughs> of dinosaurs and then playing music. Um, nice. It's weird. It's weird, but I'm having a great time. Um, really happy that I went back to that game and looking forward to seeing what the expansion is. Uh, also looking forward to see if I can keep this up because later game... Uh, monsters are not as forgiving, but maybe I just am underestimating how much I remembered about fighting creatures, uh, because I feel like I've got the timing down right. I can almost feel when I'm fucking up. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, no, I leaned into that too hard. The biggest problem I found, actually, is the weapon itself that I'm using. It gives me confidence, because if I land a hit at the right time while something's attacking, I just smoke it in the face, and it just, it'll bounce back stunned. Uh, but that doesn't always, that don't, that doesn't always fire if you don't do enough damage. Um, so sometimes, like, they'll just power through, my weapon will bounce and off, then and then you're I'm getting chomped on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. But it's... <laughs> It's uh, also like the swings for that weapon. Like sometimes I'll just swing and it is such a miss. And then I'm standing <laughs> beside the monster who's like looking at me ready to bite yeah. me. And I'm like, I did not hit you in the head, but now I'm right here. Yeah. Um, good, good. Yeah. Uh, so really digging Monster Hunter World again. Um, I'm also playing fire emblem heroes on mobile uh, i feel like it's important to mention like my garbage mobile habits but uh fire emblem heroes is still i think the best turn-based experience you can get on mobile right now there might be some other stuff coming out soon but uh stuff that you don't have to pay for uh free content wise it's one of the best i've been able to find and i'm enjoying it still so good, good. yeah uh, that's what i got all right um 
I, on the other hand, uh, I had one uh, unique experience, which was wonderful. I got to play Beat Saber for a little bit, like briefly, but um, okay, it was a ton of fun. So uh, the VR thing was like really non-intrusive. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. It was yeah, it was a lot of fun. Just waving your hands at boxes, making them go boop boop bop, you know, with music. It's neat. It's fun. It's cool. Like it. Cool. Um, cool. 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 I uh, Deep Rock Galactic pushed out uh, some updates recently. I've kind of started playing that a little bit more. Um, only co-op. I haven't bothered playing that alone to do anything. Um, but the co-op experience has kind of been enriched by some more options for um, character detailing, character customization. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So you have some better options to play with now. Um, and yeah, there should still be more coming in the future. I'm uh, really, really a big fan of the cooperative elements in that game. I I'm, I highly suspect that that will be featured at some point. Okay, cool. Um, Very cool. And also, this past Path of Exile season I jumped into, which... Yeah, I've seen you've been playing that a lot. Yeah, well, I it's, it's... Half of it is a trading simulator. It's open all the time so that I can hear a ding, so that I can... <laughs> trade with people when they want to yep. buy my things uh the game itself it's an action rpg um there's like i haven't played poe since beta when i think i stopped playing shortly after they they released the second act and mm -hmm. now there are 10 and there's a crap ton of end game content that are I mean, every season they, or every few seasons, they do a major, major new feature, which ends up usually rolling into just the full, like, normal game content. So there's, like, a, there's just a ton of shit in there now. Uh, pretty overwhelming. I wanted to get versed back in just, like, the core mechanics and see what had changed. Um, Endgame stuff feels very, maybe it's just because I don't have any expensive gear, because I haven't done any grinding but everybody feels pretty kind of like glass cannony you go and you like ever but everything around you blows up and then you die sometimes yeah. and it's I, I don't know it's it's kind of weird <laughs> and like yeah yeah, path uh, yeah, it's yeah weird. you spent a little bit of time i was curious so I, I actually like went and researched a bunch of builds um like a week ago and it doesn't seem to matter what like there are just the most successful builds are the ones that can do the most damage from far away because melee or like casting spells by yourself just doesn't seem to be an option anymore for mm -hmm. getting to end game. So it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a normal thing or if it's always been like that or if it's a recent thing. It's just the end game doesn't feel super balanced. Uh, I don't know. I, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to... It's weird. It's a weird thing. But leveling up was a lot less painful once I followed a guide on how to level up effectively and efficiently. So now instead of, I don't know how many hours it would probably take a layman 
to like unaided level up a character, but you can actually crush through it pretty quickly if you're doing the right things. And there are very helpful mm-hmm. guides now that walk you through that process. Thank goodness. Um, that's 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 kind of kind of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Played <laughs> cool. an interesting. Hey, oh, I did. I okay. I did play an interesting board game called. What'd you play? Um, oh shoot, Veil something Veil, Veil Spirit of Veil, Veily Veil, Mystic Veil. It's not. Uh, okay, I was gonna say it's not the the gloom. The gloom Gloomhaven? One. The big, big, big... No, yeah, I, I, not the big, big We played that a bunch, but that's... Um, I, that one is what it is. Uh, Fair enough. Mystic, Mystic <laughs> Veil I want to bring up because if you're interested in unique mechanics in board games, this one stands out to me. It's kind of like a deck builder, but you're not, okay. you're not changing... You're not, like, adding or removing cards from your deck. Your cards, you have 20 or 21 of them or something... They kind of have three sections to them, and instead you're okay. using your currency to add to them. So you start out with a third of your cards are blank, and a third of them have one slot filled, or a third of them have a slot filled differently. I don't know. Like it's like top, middle, bottom slots. And the way you acquire currency is neat. It's a nice risk-reward system, and then you buy that currency to get other transparent sheets to slide into your cards so then your your card actually changes. So if you have like plus $1 on the top section of your card, you can buy a thing that says plus $2 on the middle section of your card. So now when you draw that card, you get three. And I've hmm. I've never seen like a a card building, card altering deck building game before. Um, that That's just a mechanic I've never seen before. And it was really, really fascinating to play. So that was Mystic Veil. Vale check it out it was neat i don't know about like longevity with that game i don't know if that's it was just like a gimmicky thing that would get you through half a dozen games and then you don't like it anymore i don't know but it was neat unique so that was that was fun yeah cool cool okay now i'm done now i'm done for real okay cool 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 but still that's i mean that's interesting i don't know if i am currently in a position where i would be able to encounter it but that's uh that's cool um Maybe someday, Stu, we can play together. I think I looked uh, for it on Tabletop Simulator. It's not there because I think they're actually making a version of the game on, I saw it on Steam. So maybe it does okay. already exist on Steam. I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't really follow okay. up. That's fair. Um, okay. Well, hey, we've played games. We've talked about what we learned from games. I think maybe we're getting to the end of the episode. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, we're going to bring this baby to a close. So I'm going to uh, thank you, the audience, for taking the time to listen. And I'm going to thank Stu uh, for, for hanging out with me as we do this. Um, we couldn't do it without each other. So, it, well, we could, but it would be it, a very different be, show. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of dead air. Um, so I hope you, the audience, enjoyed yourselves. Uh, Stu, do you have anything you want to plug uh, before we close this episode off. Uh, AGTQ probably takes donations year-round, so go throw money at them. They're good people. Yeah. Uh, just Google. If you don't know what we're talking games about, done quick. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's Games Done Quick, and it is very cool, very cool to watch uh, some of those speed runs and what some of the folk there can accomplish. Also, doing it for a very good reason, yep. a very good cause. So definitely check them out, throw some money that way. Um 
So I'm going to do a quick thanks to Dimitri for our music, and I'm going to do a quick thanks to Joe for our art. I'm going to thank Classic Gaming Podcast. So this is uh, this is <laughs> this is Robert, and um, oh, <laughs> Mr. Totoro, Mr. Totoro. No, I oh gosh, how am I blanking on his name right no. now? It is so I am so tired. You're fired. What is happening? Oh, um, we'll fix it in post. Lame. Okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's but... Jay, it's it's Jane Robert, Jane Robert. Holy smokes, that's embarrassing. Um, and uh, they had me on for episode one seventeen. It's funny because like they they love me because I write emails every single episode. They always thank me if any of them. It, well, Rob will probably tell Jay that I forgot his name now. It's <laughs> it's it's inevitable. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was on episode 117 uh they had me on actually their audience really seemed to enjoy it so that was uh, that's good it's like po- the most positive feedback i've ever received nice <laughs> so, good job uh, on a podcast so that was including our own yeah uh, well, so that's kind of funny people um yeah um also i want to thank fred rojas and gaming history 101 for uh they had me on for their nintendo episode so nintendo in 2018 and then uh industry talk for end of the year 2018 so um Check all those shows out. He shot like four or five uh, different episodes out around, um, uh, yeah, just around the new year as the new year was coming up, and then he had a just sort of a new year's close off. Um, and he also finished his uh, YouTube video, which is comparing every version of Final Fight uh, oh, that's nice. out, and it was actually pretty good. It's about forty five minutes, but it's very in depth. Um, if that's your thing, uh, it talks about like. Uh, technical specs and limitations for some systems uh but it's it's a very interesting side by side if you ever want to see like all the different crazy ports that would come out between like um well uh, like late 80s and early to mid 90s like it is just crazy crazy what ends up uh showing up actually i think the last version of final fight which was final fight zero or or something for a game boy advance didn't come out till almost 2000 um or later uh but uh yeah it it's it's an interesting video uh if you want to know that much about final fight uh i'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes lastly i want to say thanks to the future monkeys for making podcasts again uh they made i think they've released two episodes in the span between um when they showed back up um so they're they're currently they're they're being us (laughs) (laughs) they recorded two episodes in the time it took us to record one um but uh yeah very excited to have those guys back uh check them out if that's what you're into they really just talk about food <laughs> this time around uh food and a little bit of gaming in life um but it's yeah just two guys all important things two guys with the time machine yeah um yeah that's what i got so uh if you want to know more about learn from gaming podcast uh we're on social media we really just use it to let you know when episodes are coming out right now, but feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we've got a Twitter. We've got a Facebook. Um, we are also on the podcasts. That's where we podcasting. <laughs> uh, so we're on iTunes and we're on Google Sound. Uh, we're also on Podbean. That's where we're primarily hosting presently. Um, and that's where our audio is going to live. Let's, let's be real. So uh, Podbean is where our audio is, um, and we always just sort of link to it. So yeah, that's where everything is. Um, So again, thanks 
for everybody for joining. Thank you, Stu, and uh, tune back. Thanks in for soon. listening, everybody.